Welcome to Nerd vs. World, episode 83, War for the Planet of the Nerds. I'm Brendan. And I'm Spindles. And on tonight's show, we've got film reviews for Baby Driver, Spider-Man Homecoming, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, and then TV roundups for Doctor Who, and I believe you've watched all of iZombie? Uh, not quite all of it. I'm, uh, I'm midway through season three, but I have mainlined the shit out of it over the last week. Amazing. <laughs> Fair play. Um, actually, start there because, like, I've not, I've, I've keep seeing um, like articles about it and cast photos about it, but I've never watched iZombie. Okay, well, I mean, it, it's one that I've been meaning to watch uh, for a very long time because I think I, I posted about it like a, about a year before it actually came out. Uh, I put did an article about it on the Monkey Spanner site um, because it's it's based on a, another based on a comic zombie thing, uh, and I thought it was going to be quite interesting. But I, I've never actually got round to watching it until kind of last week, and there's now three whole seasons of it on um, on Netflix. So yeah, I basically just sat down and yeah, me and Emma sat and mainlined it. So it's it's kind of a crime procedural, but with zombies, and the idea is that. The, the main character, Liv, gets turned into a zombie at a party. Uh, and then... Cool in party. order party. Oh, well, yeah, indeed. But that, that, that becomes a plot point for later seasons of why that happened at the party and what's going on. It's all to do with a uh, uh, an energy drink called Max Rager. Um, and so, yeah, she gets turned into a zombie. She's a nurse. And then uh, the only way she can keep from kind of devolving and becoming a proper zombie is to eat brains. So what she does is she gets a job as a medical examiner so that she can eat the brains of dead people. Fair enough. Sensible approach. Uh, But then also, when she eats the brains, she takes on parts of their personality and gets flashbacks to the person. And so she ends up then working with a policeman, solving the murders. So it's a little like Chew in that respect. It, It is a little bit like Chew. It's kind of Chew meets True Calling. Amazing. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a smattering of heroes and a few other things. So you've got David Anders is in there as a series regular, who was in Heroes amongst other things, and he's he's the kind of British bad guy, uh, and he's excellent. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole cast is fantastic. It's a re- it's kind of very tongue in cheek fun show, and it is a kind of murder of the week, and then it's the. Uh, kind of uh, personality trait of the week for Liv to take on. Okay, cool. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's a nice little touch then. Like, yeah. It's got, it's got recurring themes, but also a new flavour every episode. Yeah, and then it also has a, a much longer kind of series arc of going on about why there are zombies and how zombies are existing as a kind of underclass in society rather than being a big kind of zombie apocalypse all over the place they're living in small communities and still existing as normal people okay so it's like uh the ending of Shaun of the dead yeah yeah kind but, of but they're not overtly looking like zombies yeah. they they kind of do but then what what they could do is just get a spray tan and dye their hair and they look normal fair enough 
they visit the gods in American gods in the morgue. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Yes, indeed, they would do the trick. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. It, it's uh, Rose McIver is um, the, the main actress in it because uh, she was uh, she was originally in the Power Rangers RPM, which was one of the New Zealand ones, and I, I interviewed the the Green Ranger from that on a show like a year ago. He's the guy who was in uh, Deathgasm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so him, they they acted together in in Power Rangers, and then she's gone on to do this. Oh, I must dig the photo out for the show notes of the uh, placement of Deathgasm DVD on the shelves at Sainsbury's. Yeah, indeed. Next to that r- romantic comedy film. Yeah, because I told you I sent that through to him, and he thought that was hilarious. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So yeah, I, I, I totally love iZombie. It's what it, it it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's great fun, and it's just one of those engaging shows. Awesome! I'll definitely check it out. I mean, it's like it's one of those shows that I've seen around. I don't know why I haven't watched it. So I'm, trying to, I'm trying to place what's put me off watching it. I think maybe it's the whole zombie aspect of it, and like getting a bit Probably. burnt out on zombies. But yeah, and I, and I think that's why I didn't get around to watching it as well because obviously you know there was Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, a whole bunch of other stuff, and I just kind of felt like I'd OD'd a bit on zombies. Yeah, and, and didn't really fancy it. But then when I watched it, it's, it's actually hilarious. It's a great show. All right, all right. Then. You've, you've, you've sold me. You've got to especially like the uh, the cooking scenes because the thing is that as a zombie you can't taste anything, so they have to put like ridiculously hot pepper sauce on stuff to make you taste of anything. Um, in every episode, well, I think it starts kind of around halfway through season one, but then most episodes there's a, a sequence that shows Liv cooking and making like sushi out of brains and all sorts of stuff. There's like excellent cookery scenes. Amazing. Like to be fair, you are pretty spot on on recommending shows to me because I am. After after last episode, I started watching Travelers. Mm. Like I think I'm tearing through that show at the moment on Netflix. I'm looking for shows to binge before Stranger Things comes back. Like oh, you've still... gotten till October. Yeah, you're ages. Got... yeah, but we've got um, new shows in August. We've got Defenders in August. So true, and of course we have uh, Game of Thrones starting on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it comes back on Sunday, so cannot wait for that. Hope, well, I mean, I think it it will have come out by the time this show goes to air. I think. Yeah. So we'll, we will already be frothing about it, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah just check the Twitter page. <laughs> check yeah. Twitter feed. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, let's stick with TV for a bit then. Um, yeah, sure. Doctor Who, man. Yeah, wasn't that awesome? That finale. Like, if I'm honest, the first half of the finale, the first part was incredible. I th- I thought, if I'm being fair, that the second parter, like, for the first 20 minutes, was actually a little bit slow. It dragged a little bit. Mm. Um, but it finished very, very strongly. Um, I thought that was a strong ending. I, I loved the way they brought Heather back and her and Bill Potts have gone off. I thought that was really sweet because actually it was mentioned in that episode that Bill didn't think her tears were hers. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, the Massey, uh, Massey, the Master and Missy stuff was really interesting. Um, yeah, and I know that I know that they are the counterpoint to the Doctor, so they do bring out the characteristics that make the Doctor the Doctor. 
but they went explicit with it this time in that whole conversation between the three of them outside the barn. Where yeah. The talks about he's just trying to be good. Um, and I thought that was really well done. I, I liked that the master being there allowed the doctor to be the doctor. Like, yes. It was really nice. Um, it was uncomfortable watching the Cybermen kill the doctor. Like, not going to lie. That yeah. was, I think that's where the episode started to break me. Like, as any long-time listener to the show knows, I am notoriously emotional from watching TV, especially <laughs> Doctor Who. But yeah, that got me. And then the fact that he, when he went into his regeneration, before he stopped it, he repeated, I think it was all the final words of each of the Doctors that preceded him. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't want to go and things like that, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh yeah, it finished strong, but up to that point, it kind of dragged a little bit. But yeah. that doesn't take away from the fact that it's been an excellent season. Probably the strongest season um, of the reboots. Definitely uh, Capaldi's strongest season. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I mean, again, it's one of those things that we, we called Bill's ultimate fate back in episode one. Yeah. We said, you know, if they're at the point where Bill is ever facing imminent death, then... She could turn up and save her at any point anywhere in the universe. Yeah. And she did. Yeah. So, yeah, we called that. I think we can we can uh, pat ourselves on the back for that one. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, yeah, I'll do it now on the mic. Yeah, yeah. You too. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, so, obviously, the conversation post-episode uh, on Twitter was who the next, do- next Doctor's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um I think there were some of the strongest hints ever in that episode that it might be a woman. Yeah. Although general consensus seems to be that um, Moffat is a troll and that he's trolling the internet quite hard with that. Because uh, mm-hmm. there's the, inter- there's the uh, interchange between Master and the Missian Doctor, which is like, is everything, is everyone in the future a girl? Uh, yeah. To which they reply, one can only hope. I think that was the biggest indicator. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Missy didn't realise she was a woman, like, that, that gives the impression that Time Lords are, like, gender fluid. Yeah. Like, they don't really identify with male or female. Um, mm. But after speaking to some people in the know, it seems that it's not going to be a woman, and it might not be Chris Marshall. Mm, indeed. Might be someone called Luke Treadway, who I'd never heard of before, and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd never heard of Matt Smith or David Tennant when they took it on. I heard of Tennant because of Casanova. Right, I hadn't. I'd never seen it. But I'd never heard of Matt Smith. Um, mm. And of course, Peter Capaldi came into it, and everyone was immediately doing a sort of Malcolm Tucker Doctor Who. Uh, see, I, I, I wasn't because I was totally down with his his Angel. performance as the Angel Islington. Yeah. yeah, there's that as well. Um, apparently. Um, Patterson Joseph's name's back in the mix as well. Yeah, apparently so. His odds have been cut quite a lot. And like that would keep the the Neverwhere link alive with Doctor mm. Mm. But, um, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But it you know, I felt this season was a wonderful way for Capaldi and Moffat to sign off. Yeah, I think so. I think it was excellent. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to the the Christmas. Yes. Yes, um, with David Bradbury as William Hartnell as number Indeed. one. Indeed, yeah, yeah. 
you might be a doctor, but I am the doctor. Yes, so I think it's quite interesting that, yeah, I, I believe that the time period it's set is just before the first Doctor regenerates. Yeah. So yeah. It, there's a section where he, he wanders out of the ship and then turns up looking dishevelled, and it's in that interim bit. Ah, uh, okay. So it's and it's actually set. Okay, so maybe that Doctor goes off with Capaldi. Yes. And that's where he was in the interim. Yeah, indeed. Sweet. Cool, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm always looking forward to it, because it always makes me cry, because it's the Christmas episode. <laughs> it's always so sweet. Well, sometimes. Sometimes it isn't. I mean, there was that uh, witch and wardrobe one that was rubbish. Oh, no, I quite liked that one. Oh, I hated it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I quite enjoyed that, not going to lie. I mean, I couldn't recount any of the episode to you, but I remember liking it at the time. Mm. But, oh well. So yeah, I think it, it's, uh, if anybody wanted to bone up on it before Christmas, it's the, the Tenth Planet is the Doctor Who story to watch. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you can find it. Go out there and watch it. Yeah. Cool. On to some film talk then. Yes, absolutely. Have you seen any of the three films we're going to talk about tonight? I haven't, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I've honestly been so busy, I haven't managed to get to the cinema at all this month. I still haven't seen Wonder Woman. Oh, man, you have to. That, that's, you know, the more, more I think about that, I mean, I was pretty generous in my praise of it in the first place, and I enjoyed it, but the more I think about it, the more I acknowledge how great a movie it actually was. So yeah. you should definitely go and see that. Um, yeah. Well, see, this is the thing, isn't it? I'm a part-timer. So I have all the time in the world to go to the cinema and see films. Yes, sadly, me not so much, especially with commuting into London now as well. So. Oh, yeah. No, forget yeah. about it. Um, okay, so first one's first, then. Baby Driver, the new Edgar Wright flick, which... Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, when I came out of that, I was gushing with praise for it, Um I genuinely think it's probably the coolest film I've seen in a very long time. And I think it's because of the music. It is, straight up, a low-key musical. Okay. Every, like I, I'm fairly sure... I'm going to have to watch it again. But I'm fairly sure he has Tarantino's trick where all the music used in the film is diegetically sourced from within the narrative of the movie rather than the soundtrack from outside right. okay. which I thought was really cool and I thought that I thought that ELO's Mr. Blue Sky at the start of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was going to be the coolest opening sequence that we saw set to music all year mm-hmm. but um, Bell Bottoms by is it John Spencer Blues Explosion yeah that at the start of Baby Driver the car chase sequence that that's set to is really really good it's just even cooler than Guardians, if possible. Um, I think it's, it's an exciting time to have these auto filmmakers like James Gunn and Edgar Wright start to make movies. Now, James Gunn isn't perfect, and we'll get to that. No, no, Edgar Wright isn't perfect, and we'll get to that. James Gunn is perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, Edgar Wright doesn't do female characters very well, and that's kind of an issue throughout a lot of his films, but noticeable in this one as well. Just doesn't seem to know how to write them properly. Okay. Um, Lily Tomlin plays Baby Driver's love interest. Well, and um, she is just a prize, essentially. She doesn't really have any agency in her own right. 
Right. She's she's there to be rescued, um, either from the clutches of the mob or from her dead end life, ser- serving in a in a restaurant diner, you know. But that's basically all she is. She's just there for baby to have as a romantic interest, there to leverage some urgency for him later in the third act, and there to be rescued. Um, so, not particularly great female character in that movie, which is a shame given what Wonder Woman's done this summer, this summer so far. Mm-hmm. But as for the rest of the film, it's pretty much this really well-executed car chase heist drama. Baby, um, the background for him is that he once robbed Kevin Spacey's character's car, um, and he's a connected mob guy. The car had drugs in it. Um, but rather than doing anything about it, Kevin Spacey hired Baby to be his driver to pay off the debt over time. And we joined the film at a point where Baby's almost paid it off. Mm-hmm. He pays it off in the opening job, but then he's brought back in for one more job with which he can make money. Um, just one more job. Just one more job. It's almost like the Goodfellas, uh, Godfather Part 2. Just when I thought that I was out, they pulled me back in type thing. Uh, I have no idea. So I, no, I hate Mafia movies, so I've oh. never watched it. Oh, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, so it's 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 all about that. It's all about the, the crews keep changing because that's how Spacey's character operates. And with this new crew, everything goes wrong. So it's Baby's chance to get out and he's pulled back into it and then his whole world just kind of devolves into chaos as the t- crew turns on each other it's very sort of Reservoir Dogs in that style I guess you okay. know, paranoia within the group and then loose cannons and maverick characters uh, but it's it's really well put together um, he doesn't go to his quick cuts quite as often as he used to but he still goes to it uh, and the acting is is brilliant. I think everyone is really well cast. I loved John Hamm's character as the sort of mentoring figure that eventually becomes, you know, he eventually flips, and we see a different side of him. I thought Jamie Foxx was incredible as just the complete nutball. Um, as a Chili Peppers fan, I'm delighted to see Flea in another movie. Uh, after after his uh, cameo in Point Break, yeah. <laughs> so that that that's all good, um, but yeah, like the soundtrack's incredible. The car chase sequences are really good. I th- and I yeah came out of it just completely blown away. I thought it was so cool, um, and I want to see it again. I think that's cool. I think that's probably the best praise for it is if you want to go back and watch it at the cinema a second time pay if you do it at cinema you know it's a it's a legit film so I gave it an A plus which is a 10 out of 10 Um, on reflection I think it probably warrants being dropped down to an A so 9 out of 10 Mm -hmm. mainly because of the weakness of the female characters they need to be stronger Um, but yeah solid film well watchable go and see it awesome yeah yeah Cool. Uh, next up then, and one that I have seen twice already, Spider-Man <laughs> Homecoming. Cool. Okay, well, do your very best not to give any spoilers for this one. Okay. I really fucking loved this movie the first time I saw it. Uh, we open up with a pre, pre-credits pre scene, which is all about uh, Michael Keaton's character, Victor Toomes, 
and it's set just after the Battle of New York from the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. And it establishes Michael Keaton as this working class hero who's got his crew together and he's doing this salvage operation for the city, which then gets taken off him by the uh, by a new department set up to deal with the the damage that's been founded by Tony Stark. Okay. And that becomes the sort of the trigger for him spinning to being the vulture. Right. Okay. Which is really cool because. It's what's been working really well in the Netflix MCU, where they give the the, the evil guys, the bad guys, some fleshing out. Make um, them a bit more sympathetic. Yeah. Actually, give them a background. We don't need Spider-Man's history. Everybody who goes to the film knows Spider-Man's background. But a little yeah. bit on why the Vulture becomes the Vulture is, like, it's great, rather than just dropping him in the movie and just going, he's the bad guy because the film needs a bad guy. So it gives him that little bit of individual character growth which is really important it's why i didn't rate wonder woman so highly because i thought Ares was a really really bad villain he just yeah. wasn't well done okay so for me immediately that had my my interest because like okay cool they're taking this approach they're giving the villain like a bit of background so we then flash forward to two months well we flash forward to a little clip which you've seen in the trailers of Spider-Man's point of view of the battle at the airport in Civil War. Mm-hmm. And then we go through that and, yeah, two months later, Spider-Man or Peter Parker is still waiting for a call from Happy or from Iron Man to tell him, you know, we've got a job for him. But he's not getting that call, so he's off doing his thing, like rescuing, like stopping bike thieves or like giving directions to little old ladies that are lost, like doing all the really mundane stuff that's like what Spider-Man does, you know, the the neighbourhood Spider-Man thing. Yeah. And it's like, the film is really about his impatience, him wanting to be part of an Avenger, wanting to be taken seriously in this adult company of superheroes, be more than he can be, but them keeping him very separate. And he's Mm -hmm. got to do all this whilst also going to high school yes being on the uh, the academic decathlon team you know balancing his responsibilities there to his friends um, and that's where the drama is like all the comedy and the drama comes from his interactions at school yeah so it's like uh, it's like if John Hughes had made a Spider-Man film you know? okay that's awesome so it, it's it's one that just like, in my written review I said that it's a film that doesn't give a shit about your adult worries. Like this is all about this is all about the low key stuff that's important to kids, like dealing with parties, being the popular kid, worrying about bullies, all these sort of things. Um, and that's where the that's where the film is. That that's that's the heart of it. Is you know we don't get any of the Uncle Ben talk. You know, don't get anything like that. We just get Peter with his new powers, trying to fit in at school, doing his best to. Remember who he is. So we don't get great power, great responsibility. No, we don't. The closest we get to that is the scene from the trailer where um, Tony Stark comes to take the suit back and he says, I'm nothing without the suit. And Stark Ooh. says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. That's the closest, okay. that's the closest we get to a with great power comes great responsibility thing. Um, and that plays back again. Another key scene late in the third act uh, it's one that flashes back in Parker's mind. 
So it's definitely it's definitely the inciter for him. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you know. I'm trying to think there's not much I can really say without giving too much away. Like we haven't seen a lot from the trailers. Not as much as you'd think we have. Um it doesn't give away that much, so people were complaining about the trailers, but it's it's fine. You can watch a trailer. Uh there's a scene in the trailer that isn't actually in the movie, it was just for the trailer, apparently. So Right. Which is Iron Man and Spidey flying through Queens. Okay. Like that was that was shot just for the trailer, apparently. Which is a bit shitty, really. Yeah, because it became like the focus for the campaign. It's not in the film. Yeah, it makes you expect more Iron Man than you get. Yeah, yeah, we you don't get much of him, and he doesn't he doesn't overpower Tom Holland either. It's still very much a Spider Man film. It's it is his movie. It's not a Tony Stark film where Spider Man cameos, um, and he doesn't phone the performance in either. When he's on screen, he is Tony Stark. He is Iron Man. There's no two ways about it. It's not a half-assed uh, performance. Yeah. So yeah, everything works. All all the bits are there. Um, there are a few twists with who some of the characters are, but I'll leave those for you to find out when you watch the film. Okay. Um, yeah. Overall, it's really really solid. Like my first response when I first came out was eight out of ten, so that's a B plus, and mm-hmm. it's been upgraded again. That's been upgraded to a to an A. It's okay. Nine out of ten. I don't nice. think it's a ten out of ten yet. I'm really struggling to. To give films 10 out of 10 because they have to have a certain it factor about how I feel when I leave the cinema mm-hmm. um, but yeah no 9 out of 10 it's it's really well done there are two um, end credit scenes the second one is incredible and you have to stick around for it okay people are going to hate me <laughs> once they've stuck around for it but um, that's what I'm saying you've got to do it fair yeah. play but yeah, that was Spider-Man. Uh, incredible. Okay. Uh, and so the mm. last film I saw was War for the Planet of the Apes. Okay, right. Uh, I could only see this in 3D, which is unfortunate because part of their campaign for this film, or at least part of their, their opening weekend strategy, is that every cinema that was showing it from Tuesday of this week... Um, could only do 3D showings. Okay, well, that's a bit crap. Yeah, so there's no 2D showings until opening weekend, which, you know, will have just passed by the time this episode comes out. But yeah, mm. for the lead-up to it, they were 3D only, um, which I'm not massively keen on. I don't think it really adds much to the film. Uh, it doesn't add much to this movie, that's for sure. Uh, there's no need for it to be 3D. It's well-rendered, you know, it doesn't doesn't get dark. Doesn't have the uh, the lighting issue that 3D normally has. Hmm. But yeah, it didn't. Well, the kind of blurriness I tend to find around the edges with 3D movies. No, this was well. Like I say this was reasonably well rendered, so there was there was none of that issue for me. Everything was okay. everything was still pretty clear. Um, but just unnecessary. Yeah, I, I I honestly don't think I've been for a 3D movie in two years at least. No, I think I used to go to them when they were the quietest screenings for opening weekends. But then I went to a screening of uh, Mockingjay Part 2 at The View in Oxford in 3D. Mm. And it was more or less empty. And halfway through the film, I realised that it actually wasn't 3D. I took my glasses off and I watched the film without glasses. I was like, yeah, oh, okay. this isn't 3D. Uh, I got free tickets for that. So I went out and pointed out to them. And they're like, oh yeah, shit, how bad. I <laughs> free tickets. 
But anyway, <laughs> uh, Wolf, Planet of the Apes. So we start off with a nice little intro sequence that lets us, it reminds us briefly of the plot of the first two films. So it's been 15 years since Rise. It's 15 years since the outbreak of the simian flu that caused like, the death of the majority of the population of the world, as well as the rising intelligence of the apes. Mm-hmm. And it's been two years since Dawn and sort of the troubles that um, Cobra started when he got revenge on the humans and sort of instigated this this fight. Now Caesar and his tribe, essentially, are nomadic, but they're living in the forests, staying out of the way of humans. Um, we open with a sequence with humans invading and sort of a bit of a fist fight, and they, they, they fight off the humans, and they send the human prisoners back, like, as, as a gesture of peace, like, we're not savages, here are your men, like, just leave us, leave us the woods and we'll be fine. Um, but the colonel, played by Woody Harrelson, in absolute sort of gleeful, scenery-chewing bad guy mode, <laughs> he is incredible. Um, but yeah, he's like having none of it. So obviously he launches an attack, and um, there are inciting incidents that come from the attack that trigger a change in Caesar and his attitude and he finds himself walking a path more similar to that of Cobra um, and it, it's it's basically about revenge for him and, okay. and he goes off to try and exact revenge by killing the colonel and his actions have consequences for the rest of his apes uh, so yeah it's it's a good film, it's really well shot it's very much like tapping into the original in terms of the way that the first film, well, Planet of the Apes, was overtly political in the stories mm-hmm. that it was trying to tell. You know, yeah. we're getting that again here. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that the bad guys here are portrayed as sort of white skinheads and um, this conservatism, conservative ideal of them first and the fear of change, the fear of the unknown. And um, like they're looking towards their impending doom with the fact that like Harrelson's character even admits that the apes are stronger than them, they're smarter than them. Uh, and then we get hit with another twist, another little bombshell about another effect the simian flu is having on humans. Um, mm. It's a really interesting point that I'm going to leave for the film to tell you what it is because I don't want to spoil that because it plays out very subtly and then becomes a key factor in Harrelson's sort of motivation. So you need to watch the film to, to understand what I'm talking about there. But you should be watching it anyway, so it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... If I don't rate it like a, a 9 or a 10, it's because it's not the film that I thought it was going to be. Like, the trailers give you a very definite impression of the sort of film you're going to see. Like, this is all-out war, sort of conflict between the surviving humans, what's left of them, and the apes. And and the film isn't that at all. The film is a really well shot emotional tale of sort of Caesar being haunted by the actions of of his past. Like you know, ape shall not kill ape, but yet he mm. killed Cobra, and he's reminded of that through hallucinations, really, that he gets of Cobra whenever he's whenever Caesar starts towing the line a little bit too close to the to the wrong side of it um but yeah it's 
it's it's very individual for the first well the first act and a half I'd say and then from the, from partly through the second act then like we see like the rest of the apes are back but they're not free and and they're paying a consequence for Caesar leaving them to pursue his own vendetta mm. and uh yeah, there's there's no nothing of the the big fight. I mean, there's obviously a massive conflict towards the end, but it's not like the apes have very little agency in that fight when it comes to it. Which was what was disappointing for me. It's like this is meant to dwarf the planet of the apes, like pitching apes versus humans, and actually, like the apes are just doing their best best to to get out of the fucking way and let let humans deal with humans and let nature take its course. Right. So, yeah, okay. It's, it was a little anticlimactic in that way, yeah. Which I suppose is kind of an expectation thing. Um, so, like, you have to be really careful when reviewing to sort of take your expectations out of your review because that's where you lose objectivity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the campaign for the film was a little misleading in places. Let's just leave right. it at that. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess it's a series of films that. Yeah, I've I've seen both of the previous films, and and they're okay. I just I just don't find the entire thing particularly gripping. Um, then you might struggle with this one. I'd, I'd say this film overall is quieter than the previous two. Mm. Um, the sound design is great at some point, but like most of the dialogue is either um, just apes grunting, but there's also a lot given through sign language and subtitles so in terms of that kind of audio we expect in the film it's really quiet uh, more so than the, the previous two like obviously more than Rise because that had quite a lot of human dialogue in it um, this is an ape majority film so you know. right yeah so yeah I, I found it slow I think is my main issue I found it slow and I'm I'm usually okay with dealing with the pacing issues like that, as long as the payoff is kind of, of worth it, and the fact that the apes didn't have much involvement in their own final conflict, as it were, kind of felt like I was robbed a little bit. Right. I, I understand why. Like, I understand that over three films they've built the apes to be the good guys. So seeing them wipe out humans no matter how bad you've painted the humans over the course of three movies, kind of maybe robs the moral centre of the apes' characters. So I can yeah. understand them playing safe and not having the apes like actually win by dominating and destroying. Um, but it still felt like... like Yeah, even Caesar doesn't get his personal, his personal finish to the movie. Um, Do you think they're trying to string it out for another one? I don't know... Um, I would hope not because I generally think this has been one of the best prequel trilogies we've had in a very long time mm. um, one of the best trilogies all round and I think it'll be remembered fondly for, for years to come so I, I don't. I hope they don't ruin it um, I'm not sure there's much scope for a fourth film if I'm honest mm. uh, I definitely think it's a world they can return to later you can probably even think about remaking or at least modernising the, the actual original again Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah no for the time being leave this trilogy as it is because it's complete it does tell a complete story for the major characters 
which is good. As an interesting side note to that, this is something that I discovered today, having rewatched the the originals again. There is a fourth uh, Chronicles of Narnia movie coming next year. Is this uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Uh, no, Voyage of the Dawn Treader has already been made. Is it? So this is Silver Chair then. It's Silver Chair, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're essentially billing it as a reboot of the franchise, so they're recasting the guy who plays Eustace. Uh, and then I don't know whether they're going to be getting Ben Barnes back in again to play an older Caspian or not. Uh, but yeah, so that's it's a franchise that they're bringing back and doing uh, uh, the next three films. There's only two, isn't it? It's Silver Chair and The Last Battle. No, there's there's uh, there's seven seven books altogether, and so the uh, it depends whether they're going to do the Magician's Nephew or not. Oh yeah, because that was the first uh, one. Yeah, at some point, but in in yeah, it's the first one in terms of the chronology. Yeah, but in terms of the the order the books were released, it's like the sixth. Is it? I, I think thought was, I thought it was the first. Is it? No, no, no. I think it is. Uh, most of them are kind of rearranged now. But I think when they were actually released, I think that the uh, the silver uh, sorry the magician's nephew came much later, but is set before *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Okay, okay, yeah. Because I, I yeah, because in the box that I have, magician's nephew's the first one. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, a whole new trilogy. So it's not Walden Media this time round. Uh, they've got a new. Uh, I, I can't remember who it is they're partnering up with this time, but because the, the previous ones, I, I, I love the first. The, the first one is is amazing. Just the the, the music and the cinematic scope of it is yeah. is phenomenal. I absolutely love that. And then it kind of gets gradually worse as time goes on. And I, I liked Prince Caspian. I thought that was all right. Yeah, it it was good. It just wasn't as good. And then Voyage yeah. of the Dawn Treader was another step down again. I didn't even realise that had been out, you see. So yeah, yeah, okay. it came out in like 2008. Oh, okay. So they're gonna have to re- they are going to have to recast uses anyway. Uh, oh, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh well, I so, yeah, look forward to. That, that was a, an interesting little bit of associated gossip. So what's the betting, then, that the new uh, Narnia trilogy fills the um, Christmas gap left by Lord of the Rings? Probably. It feels like a family Christmas film, doesn't it? Definitely, but I think it, that may well put it up against Star Wars. Uh, well, Star Wars and um, Fantastic Beasts sequels. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, get wrecked, Narnia. I think. Yeah. Oh, oh well. <laughs> I'd be interested to see it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I you know, I loved the books as a kid, and like I've got, yeah. a, I've got a set ready to give to my niece as soon as she's old enough to to read, uh, like proper kids books rather than like baby books right I mean, have you seen magicians yes that's right. the really weird kind of tv show with that uh magic school that is yes yeah, yeah that's right yeah but yes. it, it's essentially it, it 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 feels very much like it's somebody who had a real problem with narnia <laughs> yeah yeah i think i've watched more or less the first season of that. I am behind on it. That's something that you and a few other people have said to me as a show to watch, so yeah. I got on it eventually. It's dark, but it's, yeah. uh, again, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek as well. Yeah, I'm loving some of the characters. It's like the guy you can just t- teleport anywhere. Yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, I wonder if I give a rating for, for War of Planet of the Apes. No, um, sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, that's okay. Uh, I gave it a B plus, so that's an eight, eight out of ten. Okay. 
Cool. Like, that's trying to weigh some objectivity into it. I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was still a very good film. Um, but it dragged a little in places, and I would have liked the apes to be more involved in their own conclusion. Yep. And that's basically the summary for it. <laughs> Seems fair. Yep. Cool. Uh, well, as, as some quick asides, uh, I just picked up the Steelbook Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age, and so I've currently delved back into Ivalice again, <laughs> and it's going to be probably another 100 hours or so of gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 I am literally ODing on Final Fantasy at the moment. Oh, I, bought, I bought the first six games in a bundle for my iPad, so I've already finished Final Fantasy 1 and I'm now on Final Fantasy 2 uh, and then last week they uh, released the new downloadable episode for Final Fantasy 15 uh, then a whole bunch of new stuff just came out for Final Fantasy 14 the MMORPG so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I am literally drowning in Final Fantasy at the moment and oh. it's awesome now that explains a lot now like I never hear from you anymore it's like that's why it's Final Fantasy it, it, it is a lot of Final <laughs> Fantasy I, I, I have just been yeah, uh, neck deep in it and, and loving it um, other things that may be going on well, obviously we're almost in the run up to Nine Worlds yeah so, you're a um, panellist there I'm, I'm going to be there talking about characterization in LARP Um so yeah, check out the program for that. And if you're at Nine Worlds, come along and say hey. Yeah, uh, I, I will be around for the whole weekend as well. Anyway, um, I think on July the twenty second, we're both going to be guests on uh, the Smorgasbord live broadcast for. That's right. Yes, he's doing a big Superpod thing, yeah, isn't he? For Pete's birthday. So yeah, there'll be uh, there'll be announcements on the Twitter, on the on the Twitters. Oh! Twitters. So just check check that out. Um, I'm sure Speaking of which, Emma's just reading the latest Emma Newman book. Uh, uh, yeah, isn't it the Arthur C. Clarke Awards scene? It is, yeah, yeah. Didn't she get nominated for one? She has indeed. Yes, awesome. Well done, Emma. Congratulations. Indeed, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think Peter was nominated for one as well. Oh, so. They're just too talented, that, that, that pair. Hell yeah, they are. Just too talented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, well, the Emmy nominations came out today, so Stranger Things is up for an Emmy. Um, no surprise there. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's been wide open that category because Game of Thrones obviously didn't do anything. Yeah. So yeah, it's up against Westworld and House of Cards. So still pretty tough competition. It is. I mean, I, I don't hold out much hopes for it winning against no. you know titles like that, but the fact it gets nominated as a brand new show. Yeah, 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 it's awesome. But yeah, I, I do, I do rather think Westworld will steal it. I thought that show was really good. I, I preferred Stranger Things, but yeah. in Westworld, probably the more technically. Um, efficient, efficient yeah. is the wrong word. Yeah, accomplished. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Accomplished. But yeah. It should be interesting. Um, yeah, anything else? Well, the, there was a new season of Archer on Netflix. Uh, season 8? Season 8, yeah. Yeah, okay. Dreamland. I need to watch that. So I started watching that. 
but yeah. never finished it. That's the one where he starts in the coma, Com- right? Coma dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I've watched the whole of that, and that's awesome. Okay, I need to catch up on that. My housemate got into Archer recently, so I've been helping him through that. And we got to the episode that broke me on the podcast when we reviewed it a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, the, the Inner Space episode from season six. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It, it broke him the same way it broke me. <laughs> like, I couldn't, it's happening again. Like, even married talking about it. Oh, just dude. remembering it. Just remembering it. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was giggling all the way through the episode and he couldn't understand why. And then obviously the big finale with the, with the ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he suddenly, he got it. But yeah. yeah. So that's that. Oh, I did watch something else. I'm on the Ready Player One challenge. Oh, so, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I watched some kind of wonderful. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's a John Hughes film that isn't a John Hughes film. Mm. Like Ernest Klein calls it part, part of the Dorky Girl trilogy. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's not actually directed by John Hughes. It's only uh, produced by him. Right. But it's essentially pretty in pink, but gender flipped. Okay. So you've got this this guy who's after this one girl who doesn't know he exists and then another girl is his best friend and is completely infatuated with him but he doesn't see her you know so it is more or less pretty in pink okay but gender flipped but gender flipped um, okay a different ending it, it's weird though because Ernest Klein or at least Artemis via Ernest Klein calls it the Dorky Girl trilogy mm-hmm. but the female characters again have well it's actually a pretty common theme for John Hughes films anyway, and movies in the 80s, but they don't have any agency in their own right. Like, there's two female characters in this, and one is there to be lusted after by the by Eric Stoltz as the male lead, mm-hmm. and uh, the other one, Watts, his friend, is there to lust after him and have it be unreturned. Right, okay, it's, so... It's yeah. really weird. It doesn't... It feels out of place when you weigh up John Hughes films. Um, it doesn't feel like it should be in there. I remember loving it when I first saw it, but that was back in 94, and I right. was young and didn't know better. Um, yeah. And, yeah, like the character of Watts is probably why my general type is artistic, slightly crazy women. Right. I still, I still thought she was a great character, and I still loved her. Um, even though watching it through a lens of me now, I do realise that actually she doesn't have anything going for her in her own right. She's just there as a plot point for for this guy. Right. But hey, I'm, I'm finding this a lot, watching films on the Ready Player One Challenge, going back and seeing exactly how much gender politics has changed from now to then. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, most definitely from the 80s. Hell yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's that. But I'm going to keep going with the challenge. Um, I'm going to put a poll up on Twitter, and you can actually pick the uh, the next film that I watch. Yeah, cool. Yeah, good uh, idea. Do it that way. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Um, and and the only other one is we've uh, started watching the Underworld series again because uh, a new one just got released. So I've gone back and watched the first two now. So Underworld and Underworld Evolution. And then... Rise of the Lycans. Next up is Rise of the Lycans, which is essentially just an expanded version of a flashback from the first one. Yeah. Which is a bit cheesy. Have they released another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just been released on DVD. 
so what happened was we well we uh, joined the British Gas uh, loyalty scheme, and they gave us fourteen quid of credit on the Sky Store, and so with that we bought the new Underworld film. <laughs> That's the most random partnership between two companies I can think of. Yeah, British I know, Gas right? And Sky. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, they gave us 14 quid's worth of credit on the Sky Store, so we used the buy and keep feature and bought Underworld, so the DVD's winging its way to us now while we're watching the previous ones, which I bought as a Blu-ray box set ages ago. Fair enough, can't argue with that, can you? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, and I, I don't think I've ever even seen the fourth one. I think I stopped after Rise of the Lycans and I haven't watched anymore. Oh, I didn't even make it that far, I stopped after the second one. Right, I think I but stopped yeah. After and then next after that is Resident Evil because they've just released the last Resident Evil as well. Again, stopped at the second yeah. one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, again, I, I have kept up with that and I've got all the way through. Oh, I can't remember whether it's Afterlife or Retribution was the last one. And then there's now Re- Resident Evil, the final battle, which has just come out. Yeah, I think Afterlife was the the most recent, I think. Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally up to date on those and they're great films. Amazing. All right, well, let us know how it goes, dude. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> do a live tweet of it. Have some uh, some classic vampire and zombie action. Yeah. Fair. Well, I look forward to hearing more. Ooh. Um, but actually, no, I think that probably is all for this week's episode. Yeah, I think that, I think that nicely yeah. rounds us out. Yeah. Um, okay, then. So, thank you all for listening. I've been Brendan. I've been Spindles. And until next time, take care and be excellent to each other. Ta-da!